I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Uh, this is Audra. Hi, Sadie. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm excited to talk about Alias Grace. Elias Grace? How do you say it? I would say Alias Grace. Um, yes, I am very excited to talk about this one. I really enjoyed reading it, and the show's really great. There's a lot to talk about. And we're going to try to do it yeah. spoiler-free. You didn't hear this, yes. but Audra and I just had a laughing fit because we're talking about how hard it is going to be to speak about this book spoiler-free before we do part Yeah, two. I just don't have faith that I can do it, but I'm going to do my absolute <laughs> best. I really am. I promise. I'm going to try really hard. So just if you, maybe if you start to tell that I'm veering in that direction, you can I'll flag you know, you down. yell at me and tell me to stop. Okay. Yeah, make me right. stop. <laughs> um, but, so before we get into discussing... Uh, chapters one through 33, mm-hmm. right? That's, yeah. Um, of Alias Grace, we will um, have a few, just one announcement. So the next book that we will be reading um, is Reservation Blues by Sherman Alexie. Um, so really excited about this book. Um, uh, it's just about kind of the bluesman Robert Johnson, and he kind of gives an enchanted instrument to um, someone that's living on the Spokane Indian reservation and kind of he travels around the world and it I don't know that wasn't a really great summary but it's just a really great book and I love the musical parts of it and um really like Sherman Alexie so excited to talk about that so um go pick up Reservation Blues by Sherman Alexie from your local bookstore so you can get started on that to discuss with us um but we're going to be having two episodes uh on Margaret Atwood's Alias Grace so Yes. Um, and I think that's it. Did you have anything, Sadie, to announce? Um, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, so in honor of um, the novel, I decided to do, well, I wanted to do a Irish whiskey and ginger ale. Oh, yeah. But um, but I didn't get quite an Irish whiskey, but I did. I, it's Jane Walker, um, Scotch whiskey. Kendrick recommended that. So I'm drinking a, a Scotch and ginger ale. Nice. That sounds delicious. Yeah, I kind of thought something. I am drinking. Whiskey-ish. Yeah, it's yours is way more on theme than mine. I am drinking a margarita, um, and oh I, my gosh, that's so far off theme. It's so far off theme. So um, far off theme. But it's very delicious. And we, I, I added this um, like poblano pepper syrup to it, like a sugar syrup to it. That's a peppery mm. kind of taste, and then. Um, I don't really like to salt my rims with my margaritas, but I do like to use tahine on my rims, which like tahine is like a chili lime salt. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'll have to try that because I don't like salted rims either. Yeah. But I like the idea of having something. Yeah, it's really good because it's not as salty, but it's it's more like limey (laughs) and spicy at the same time if you like a little bit of spice. That. That is a great idea. I like that. Okay, so not on theme, but sounds delicious. Yes. And I just learned something that I want to try, so I'm really happy with your choice. Sweet. So good job. Very good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No no judgment for your non-themey <laughs> drink. 
Um, yeah, so that's anything else or let's get into it. I think we can get into it. So um, okay. I'm just going to give a book intro. And then I also thought it would be fun since this novel is based off of a true story. Very roughly, she obviously takes a lot of creative license with it. I would talk about what we actually know about Grace Marks, the main character of the book, and the big murder that she was involved in. So Alias Grace was written by Margaret Atwood, and it was published the fall of 1996. It tells the story of convicted murderess Grace Marks, who is serving the life sentence for a murder she claims she cannot remember committing. She tells her story to a young Dr. Simon Jordan, as they both seek to understand what happened and the questions of her innocence or villainy. Um, and then what we know, Grace Marks was born circa 1828. She immigrated to Canada from Northern Ireland around the age of 12, losing her mother on the voyage. Shortly after arriving in Canada, Grace went into domestic service work and eventually became the maid for Thomas Kinnear, a Scottish farmer and gentleman around the age of 16. Also in the house was Nancy Montgomery, the housekeeper and mistress of Mr. Kinnear, as well as James McDermott, a young man who started working at the property around the same time as Grace. Thomas and Nancy, who was pregnant at the time, were both murdered July 18, 1843. Grace and James went on the run, were caught, and subsequently were found guilty for the murder of Thomas Kinnear, though the courts decided not to try them for Nancy Montgomery's death, which is something I find very interesting. Uh, McDermott was sentenced to death and hanged, but Grace's death sentence was commuted to life imprisonment instead, which she ended up serving for 29 years before moving to New York and then disappearing from historical record. Grace's involvement in the crimes was one of particular intrigue, and the statements and reports that were given were vast and had very little compatibility. Though neither claimed complete innocence, both defendants insisted that it was the other who pressured them into the crime. While no one knows exactly what happened, the case showcased a public concern for illicit sexuality, attitudes towards immigrants, class struggle, and of course, the question of what women, and especially women in the Victorian period, were capable of. That very well said, Sadie. Thank you. I'm impressed. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. Um, well, you, uh, this was your pick, so even though you just went through all of that, maybe you can start us off with maybe, I mean, you had read it <laughs> yeah. and I hadn't, yeah. kind of what led you to pick this or kind of your initial thoughts on it would probably be a great place to start. Yeah, so I read this um, a couple of years ago because I saw that Netflix had made a series of it, and I love Margaret Atwood, and I wanted to read the book before I watched the series, and mm -hmm. I'm very glad I did, and I thought this would be a really good book for us to discuss uh, just due to, I think, it's really good portrayal of just kind of the everyday kind of horrors that a lot of women have faced historically. And mm -hmm. um, also, I think the way that the story is told does a good job of highlighting kind of like the way that different men or different um, people who see these things happen kind of like do nothing and the, the way that that impacts society. And I think that's something that um, is still very currently an issue. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, you're you are very correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think it's really interesting. I think just all the I think also it's so um, powerful with how much she discusses what women's daily lives were mm -hmm. like. You know, mm -hmm. she's really in depth of what you know what Mary had to do as a servant, and like really gets into the details of 
all of these different things like it it gives a lot of discussion about that like you really understand their daily life doing this kind of work and just all the details and you know the quilting and like Mm -hmm. things that women did that were so important and had so much service but you know aren't as recognized historically because they weren't you know what I mean like it, it wasn't deemed as important and so you know there were these amazing women that worked hard every day and did so many amazing things but didn't get that recognition that maybe men did and I think there's just so much detail about all these you know just daily the daily life of women that maybe wasn't given as much consideration before yeah and you know and I think the book talks a lot about how it's not given consideration even at the time and like how certain people in elevated positions weren't even aware of what their help was doing for them um like this is kind of like later in the story but there's a part in the book where um he Dr. Simon um Dr. Simon Jordan asks her like what she did when she was working on the house and she right. is baffled that he doesn't understand. Um, and she has, yeah, an she has this, is this great couple paragraphs about like, uh, like you're just like children or something like you make, you know, we clean yes. up your mess and our mess and like, you don't even know like what your mess is or you wouldn't, you wouldn't survive mm-hmm. on your own basically. Like mm-hmm. there's no way you could, be really out in the world like it's just great couple little like paragraphs about that yeah just the luxury of not having to know of like the consequences of their own actions or um the the things that the help do to make them um comfortable you know just the tiny basic things that they do and how inconvenienced they are when something gets in the way of that Yeah, I think it ties into this other theme that I thought I connected to in the book about kind of the difference between ignorance and um, I can't think of the word that that she has in there, but it's like you're not stupid, you know, ignorance or stupidity and that Mm. ignorance you can still learn and grow. Like um, Mary Whitney says something along those lines to to Mary when she says you're like bright like a penny, you know. Yeah, sorry to Grace, like you're ignorant, but you like you are smart, like you can learn versus Mm -hmm. she obviously um, knows and, you know, Mary Whitney tells her about a lot of other people that are in their lives that are ignorant, you know, like these people, there are bosses, but they're ignorant. And, and so I think it makes interesting points um, just about what we choose to, just that there's what, what a difference that is, you know, between ignorance and stupidity. Yeah. And, and like how there's so much more agency with, just being ignorant of something versus um, stupidity where it's like you just can't understand it. But with ignorance, I think there's more of like a level of you're choosing not to see this or you're choosing not to understand at at some point. Like once you're given knowledge, how can you not kind of do something with it? And I think, I mean, this is kind of earlier getting into it than I thought we would be, but um, like when Grace outlines... Mary Whitney's abortion and her death in such graphic details. And I think, honestly, this is one of my favorite parts about this book. And I think why it's really important is it does a very good job of like showing a realistic reason why somebody would get an abortion back then and Mm -hmm. um, the horror of it and the trauma of it. Yeah. And, you know, she tells him, what happens and and at first when he leaves you know he talks about how 
he's so affected by it and like kind of moved by the story. But then like before he even gets home, he's talking about a moment that he had with his own maid where they started getting physical with each other and then he just like didn't know what to do so he didn't continue and he just laughs at it and thinks it's so funny and he completely fails to see how he is exactly like the man who got Mary Whitney pregnant and failed to help her yeah. like and he fails to make that connection even though he's given that story right before he thinks about this own part of his past and he fails to see like he looks at it like a joke like it's so silly but that very she very well could have become a Mary Whitney in the sense that she could have gotten pregnant and she could have died yeah um totally veering off topic but I cannot stand Dr. Jordan yeah I hate I do not like this character and I think it was interesting um if it, is it okay? So I also watched the Netflix series, which I hadn't yeah. seen yeah, after I read that. this. And I really actually liked, like, I thought they didn't do a good enough job of portraying kind of what an asshole he was. Like, mm-hmm. I thought they made him mm-hmm. too sympathetic in the Netflix series, which I guess I can see why they would choose to take that direction. But, like, I didn't, it didn't seem the same with the book. Like, he's a jerk. And he's kind gross. of... He's yeah, like it just nasty. like it, and I thought they made him too like like more likable in the Netflix series. I agree. I think that they Did made you, him you got the a same diff- vibe. Yes, I think that they made him a different character in the series in the sense yeah. that like, he kind of goes through the same things, but the way he like acts and treats the women around him is completely different. And yeah, he's he's much more misogynistic in the book, yeah. and I thought and and. And also, yeah, he just, and he didn't seem as earnest in the book. Like, I think it's, they made a bigger point, there wasn't a big enough point in the series that, like, he he didn't really have this passion for this. You know, yeah. it seemed like in the book it's more about, like, well, I didn't want to, you know, do what my father was doing, and, you know, I wanted to do my own thing, and but now I've got to find a way to make money, and he's, like, resentful that his family doesn't have the money that they used to, and so he's got to work, and you know, so that he can actually do what he wants to do. I just, he just seems like, it's like, you don't even care about this. And in the movie or in the series, they make it seem like he's, you know, more committed to the art of psychology or something. Yeah, And like committed to really figuring out what's going on with grace and like more attentive yeah. to what, or more observant about the things that are going on around her. Like, um, she's, she's pretty mistreated by the people who handle taking her from, the governess's mm-hmm. house to back to the penitentiary and like in the show I feel like it does a better job of him seeing that and in, like being affected yeah. by that and concerned about it but in this I mean it's just like it he's just gross like there's this one part in the book where he talks about the maid who serves him breakfast and you know how he's just so annoyed and that the eggs are so different day to day like one day they're rubbery and one day they're barely cooked or something and he's just so annoyed by it and then then he talks about how much he hates this woman and he says he wonders if there's anything else she might prefer than being a maid of all work he has tried imagining her as a prostitute he often plays this private mental game with various women he encounters but he can't picture any man actually paying for her services and it's just kind of like again just like his 
his manner of looking at women in this like very objectifying way but then also mm-hmm. holding them to incredibly high standards and then just like uh, constantly yeah. imagining them in different places and positions that I find pretty revolting. He's I think I think he's purposely written this way but he's awful. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a horrible horrible person and I th- it's interesting though cuz the series I really think makes him seem like a more um, sympathetic character, mm-hmm. but and Margaret Atwood's like a producer of it, yeah. of the show. Yeah. So I'm like, am I just reading this wrong, or like, I don't know. I just wonder because I'm. But that's how I took it, and you did too. So I guess you know that's the I beauty think, of it. We can have our own interpretations. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's like. I think that's not to get like too into the literary aspects of like how this is written but I think that there's a reason why she does his sections in a third person perspective versus from his first person Mm -hmm. perspective because with Grace we get it from her first person perspective but when we're in kind of his view and getting his thoughts and feelings it's third person so it's this other narrator who's anonymous who just has access to all of his like thoughts and feelings And Mm. I think it's, I mean, that, if we're going to look at that sentence that I read specifically, the part where it says he often plays this private mental game seems almost like an interjection. Like he's not even really acknowledging Mm. it. He's not acknowledging maybe like this shittiness in himself of like how bad of a person he is. Yeah, he's not self-aware of it. Yeah, but the narrator is. And I think in the show we lose that because it seems like it is more from his point of view. That's such a good point because the only thing that we really get novel-wise from his point of view is when he writes letters. Yeah. Which is interesting because even in and of itself, when people write letters, they're often, you know, they may be writing it in a way that's portraying something different than reality. Mm-hmm. You know, like he even talks about that, how he writes his mother about the weather because he doesn't really want to write what he actually thinks and feels. And so is even the letters that we read, you know, yeah, what's actually going on. So I think, but it's a, re- that's a really good point and that's taken out away in the, in the series. So that, that's a really good point. Yeah. And I, I find it interesting too, cause like he seems so vile to me and, but the way that Grace, when she's telling the story to him, or at least the parts that she chooses to tell and the way she chooses to tell it, um, it's a, she's just it seems like she's really trying to do it for his pleasure like she's trying to get a reaction out of him and she likes it when he writes things down and he likes it when mm-hmm. he's engaged and I find it interesting that 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 she cares so much about that in that point I, I mean Grace is an extremely interesting character and she's difficult to tackle down I think for a lot of reasons yeah yeah she's she's a hard one to I don't know, have consistent feelings about <laughs> like I yeah. go back and forth. Um, yeah. And I think, again, I don't want to, don't want to spoil anything. Um, but yeah, she's, she's definitely an interesting character. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, and I, and I think, I think yeah. that question of like who she is and how it's in, it's inconsistency is something she's aware of. And it's something we're supposed to be feeling like at the very beginning of the book, and the series, I think, in the Netflix show, um, 
She talks about how she thinks of all the things that had been written about me, that I am an inhuman female demon, that I am an innocent victim of a blackguard, forced against my will and in danger of my own life, that I was too ignorant to know how to act and that to hang me would be judicial murder, that I am fond of animals, that I am very handsome with a brilliant complexion, that I have blue eyes, that I have green eyes, that I have auburn and also brown hair, that I am tall and also not above the average height, that I am well and decently dressed, that I robbed a dead woman to appear so, that I am brisk and smart about my work, that I am of a sullen disposition, with my quarrelsome temper, that I have the appearance of a person rather above my humble station, that I am a good girl with a pliable nature and no harm is told of me, that I am cunning and devious, that I am soft in the head and little better than an idiot, and I wonder how can I be all of these things at once. And I think that, you know, without spoiling anything, I think she does kind of like adopt all of those exact personas throughout the book, depending on what she chooses to tell. No, I, I agree. I love that section. And I mean, it's, and I think it's, um, it's really spotlighted through grace, but just that idea of women in this, I mean, any time period, but especially in this time period of, you know, changing their personality almost, or doing, being differently depending on what situation they're in just to like survive, you know, and having, and, and having to wear so many different faces and the why behind that. And, um, I think, this book does a really brings that up in really interesting ways and then but it's just really spotlighted through grace yeah and I think you know I think it's something that we see now even too like of just like what people expect or even want women to be and in like I like I thought a lot about it like the Madonna horror stereotype of like they want Mm -hmm. the maternal the the motherly beautiful virginal Madonna but they also want the whore at the same time and I think that you know that's something she deals with there and I think it's something that still is like a very common thing that women have to deal with yeah yeah it's it I think she just really highlights you know the whys behind it too and you know mm-hmm. she gives there's so many details about Grace's life you know, and just how hard her childhood was. And, and you know that that wasn't just her, that that was pretty common. And, mm-hmm. you know, just the siblings she cared for and her mother dying and her father, you know, drinking and trying to rape her and just like, just how awful things were, but also just how commonplace. And it really brings home like the why behind, you know, having to do that as well. Yeah. Like, I think it's so evident that there's never a safe space for her and for by her with her like by extension there's not a safe space for like a young woman in society because she's not safe with her father she's not safe when she's a 13 year old domestic servant who has to like lock the door and not go Mm -hmm. to the bathroom by herself she's not safe when she's in custody She's sexually assaulted while she's in custody by her doctor. She's aggressively like assaulted and interrogated and harassed by people who work around her. You know, it's like every space that she's in from childhood to adulthood, she, there's nothing secure where she doesn't have to be on her guard and where the threat of whatever these people's whims are 
you know, could affect mm-hmm. her for the rest yeah. of her life. And just the anxiety that that would bring. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're constantly living in, what's it, you know, in that fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Like, just constantly. Um that's that's really stressful (laughs) and a really intense way to live and especially if that's all the time yeah and just the the lack of trust that one would feel after that you know like Simon talks all the time about how he's like trying to build up trust and the key to his work is building trust with her and he thinks Mm -hmm. that he's successful but like how could you be how could anybody really be successful after everything that she's gone through well, and I think that's part of his arrogance, you know, that, mm-hmm. like, uh, I think he thinks that because he's different or he, you know, he's not cruel to her outwardly, like, you know, other doctors have been and he's listening to her that, you know, that's all it takes. And like, <laughs> I don't know, just like he, I don't know, he, he seems to think that he's so skillful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he can't even imagine that maybe she wouldn't like trust him still and so I think that and that plays in later in the novel but I think it definitely his arrogance <laughs> is uh is a little astounding <laughs> he's just frankly he's the worst like I feel like we could do a whole episode just like roasting yeah, this, character like this character and how bad he is and how terrible he is but I mean he's certainly I think I, I don't know I just think I think Margaret Atwood is trying to do this I think really smart thing where I think Grace is, you know, we can't quite tackle her down. And in a way she kind of represents all the women in domestic work and like Mm -hmm. that situation and the things that they go through and the immigrant experience as well. Like the fact that she's Irish being held against her all the time, you know, as if she might be some radical who's going to kill them, which, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Again. And, and like, um, Mary Whitney has to pretend, mm-hmm. you know, that she's not radical and, or, you know, despite what happened with her family. Yeah. So there's, yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on. And then I think like Simon as like a contrast to that, I think he kind of, for me, represents like all the men who don't think that they're part of the problem, but are, are exactly part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he doesn't, do anything really outright but he feeds into it and he enables it with everything else that he does and and thinks thinks he is you know different yeah thinks he is part of the solution thinks he gets it but he doesn't he's just because he's so he lacks so much of that awareness and he seems like one of the guys who would like would get really upset by the um, like the Me Too movement, or like he'd be one of those like hashtag not all men people, you know? Yes, yes, like, yes. Where he he would not want to be lumped into that because he can see those atrocities for what they are, and he's against that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wants to protect, but he's still part of the problem in so many ways that he just refuses to see. Yes, well said. Yeah, do not like this guy. He's, but I think yeah. I think it's a he's it's a he's a really good um, like pull for her to work off of though like for mm-hmm. Grace Marks to I think it's I think her how he is and how she shifts 
her narrative or her personality and how she makes conscious decisions on what to tell of her story and what not Mm -hmm. to tell him. You know, she, you know, is stating, I know he wants me to say this, but I'm not going to, you know, right. I I know Mm -hmm. what he's trying to get here, but I'm not going to give it to him. And I think it's, um, it's it's, so she can do that so well because he is how he is. And so it's interesting to see all those personalities play off of him and how he changes as a result. Yeah. Cause I mean, it kind of brings up the question of, of like, one of the main questions of the novel I think as well is like how much is she just like manipulating people versus is she innocent and I think Mm -hmm. that the way she talks with him like it seems like she is being very careful about what she is choosing to share but not in a way that for me feels particularly manipulative it's just more of a like you don't deserve to know this about me or like you don't deserve this part of my story yet or I think that you'll react better if I do it this way which I think is something that I think we all do whether we're aware of it or not but it's interesting seeing her do it specifically and he's such a good like Again, like, yeah, like, wall to bounce these things off of because he thinks he's not involved. Yeah. Yeah, and she can just read him so easily. It's And he obviously has no idea he could possibly be read, you know, by someone like her. Like, it's their conversations are almost, to me, sometimes felt like kind of these, you know, or how she's choosing her story. Like, this chess match, mm-hmm. you know, and then what he does in response and the back and forth, you know, and I think it's... Um, that was a really interesting part of or aspect of the novel. Yeah. And I think it's funny too, cause she, <laughs> I just really like seeing her reaction to some of like the tricks that he's trying to use as a psychologist, you know, like every day mm-hmm. he brings her a different pantry item basically, because he keeps trying to bring it back to the pantry and like, Nancy Montgomery and she just like she's just like why are you still trying this it's so funny she's like why is he still bringing me this thing like what does he want it like she knows what he wants but she's not gonna do anything and I think it's funny that she asks him later on to like bring something she can actually eat like fresh while she's there like at least make this useful for me you think you're so clever yeah I know she does a good like I love her little you know kind of jabs at him about you know how he of course you don't know you know what a domestic you know what people do like that Mm. you know work in houses like that and and then like she goes into kind of detail talking about like emptying like the privy pails and stuff she's like fine like you want to know like okay here let me talk to you about your shit that like people (laughs) clean for you well, like she, yeah, she tells us, but she says to him and so forth. And, right, and she's right. like so strict about it because she's like, I'm not talking to you about this. I will outline but it's it for funny because she's like, she re- she realizes like you just genuinely have no idea. Like you're so stupid. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like what does he think she does when she goes to the privy? Like it's so ridiculous that he's asking her some of these questions. And I love her little line about like, hope you know don't ever have your picture like put in magazines or oh something. yeah like because you know because it's just going to be used as toilet paper basically yeah like she's like I never understood why you'd want that she's she's so funny like she really is I just mm-hmm. love how she is everything kind of all at once but in a way that works because I feel like if it was written differently that wouldn't 
work for her to kind of inhabit all of these different skins in a way of like mm-hmm. aloofness well, versus it, innocence versus she can't possibly be naive like I right. think it's you just if going through all those experiences you can't be naive and so um I think that that's how she has to be written so she's going to have a little bit of like a you know harder edge to her mm-hmm. but still want you know s- still be such a good person and want things and be caring and all she can be all of those things but she's going to have a little bit of a a hard edge to her because of everything she's gone through yeah and you see that like they talk about how she carries herself like a lady like she carries herself Mm -hmm. of very poised and educated and like she's um with like a lot of great etiquette and then but then you see the way she reacts to the men at the penitentiary who harass her and she's very quick-witted and very quick with her tongue Mm -hmm. and she shuts them down in no uncertain language and you know that's not something we see her really show Simon but we see how capable she is of that and you know when she does show Simon that kind of language she's always like or so my friend Mary Whitney would say Right. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love it. I think she does such a great job. Um, I also, I have to say, like, I love the way that Margaret Atwood writes this book. I think she's a, she's a great writer. She really is. She's like, she's, she's very, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it because I don't want to just, you know, she's she's so descriptive about the really important details that matter. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. um, she's I mean, it's a lengthy novel. It's it not it's not a quick, you know, novel um, and there's a lot in it, but none of it seems too much like and it seems to all be so relevant, if that makes sense. Like she's just very specific in her writing. Right. Like it's a long book, but it feels like a quick read at the same time but it also not in the sense that like it's a beach read do you know what I mean like no like it's it's she's descriptive but everything feels important and it it's so good that it makes you forget it's so long yes but you have to focus I mean like this is definitely like that's why I would say it's not a beach read like you know I need to pay attention I can't have a bunch of other things going on around me and still get everything out of it that I want to get out of it. Um, so I think it requires some effort, but really, you know, sucks you in and everything's important. Like we said, all the details um, seem to add up to something. And mm-hmm. um, I think it like you want to continue to know all those things, you know, even just like when she, she talks a lot about quilting and going into kind of the, oh, I, love that. the I love that description, um, you know, where they talk about the different patterns and you know, I like to do this. Other women like to do it this way. And, you know, she's really, um, lots of detail in the novel about, you know, sewing and, um, quilting and just the, all that kind of work, which I think is just super, super interesting and so important and, you know, doesn't necessarily get recognized that often. Right. Just how much goes into crafting. Yeah. Cause it's, it's craft. It's, it's interesting. Um, so like with my major, I was technically an American studies major. And so that was like a really solid mixture of like history, lit and folklore. And it is really interesting looking back at like when you study things like folklore and so often it's the crafting and like the art, which I consider quilting an art made by women gets gets Mm -hmm. put into folklore categories instead of like art categories. Right. And 
and there's so much meaning to it. Like, so each chapter or, well, not chapter, each section is a different quilt pattern. Mm-hmm. And Grace talks a little bit about the different patterns to Simon when she's quilting while she's talking to him. And she talks about how they symbolize different things and each one seems to be kind of like a rite of passage. And it's just such a beautiful like form of craft and expression and talent that was so common. Like all, mm-hmm. not all the women had that ability, but so many of these women had this ability. And like what a skill that is. And it was just not valued. And it still kind of isn't yeah, as just- valued. No, no, I think you're absolutely correct. Like, you know, there was not, it was all needed and necessary and like this valuable skill, but wasn't really appreciated. Yeah, well, it's like it's an art that's worked into something with practicality. And so Mm -hmm. part of that is probably like why it isn't given as much attention as as like a craft and an art that it is. But I also love um, on 161 where she talks about the quilts and she says since that time I thought why is it that women have chosen to sew such flags and then to lay them on the tops of beds for they make the bed the most noticeable noticeable thing in the room and then I have thought it's for a warning because you may think a bed is a peaceful thing sir and to you it may mean rest and comfort and a good night's sleep but it isn't so for everyone and there are many dangerous things that may take place in a bed it is where we are born and that is our first peril in life and it is where the women give birth, which is often their last. And it is where the act takes place between men and women that I will not mention to you, sir, but I suppose you know what it is. And some call it love and others despair, or, I, or else merely an indignity which they must suffer through. And finally, beds are what we sleep in and where we dream and often where we die. It's just such a stunning paragraph. Like, I just love it. And and then to prove our point that we were making earlier about this asshole, he goes, and so, Grace, he says, looking up, you consider a bed to be a dangerous place? Like, yeah. did you listen to a damn thing she said? Right, like, that's like what he focused on. You yeah. just don't get it. He like, doesn't get it. You, she just gave you, like, this is my life. You want to know what, you know my life here, I'm going to tell it to you as it is really like, this is what my life is and all these other women and these people that you don't even think about. And he just has no clue. He's just, he's so stupid. He is so <laughs> you are, stupid. You just don't get it. He is, he is, he really is so stupid. And, and then, you know, and then she gets upset with him because it's like, he's almost the way she describes the way he asks that question is almost like it's laughable. Like, Oh, you think it's a dangerous mm-hmm. place? Like, like it's, it's almost mocking. She she explains exactly what her issue is, and yet he still is like, well, what's your issue? <laughs> or you don't know what your issue is. I don't understand why you're so upset. And then she gives him an itemized yeah. list of, like, what is upsetting, and he still is just like, I just don't get it. I just don't understand which yeah, if I know it's ridiculous that's not relatable content I don't know what is <laughs> <laughs> no and I just love the way Margaret Atwood writes um yeah and there, it's, just, it's just great there's so many points like that too like she'll write sentences mm-hmm. that I would just will sit with for so long that like I still question whether or not I really get it <laughs> like the one that really sits with me that 
I don't know if it's just that the imagery is so evocative and stunning or like I just don't get if she's saying something huge that I'm missing, but it's on 69 and she talks about how while he writes, I feel as if he is drawing me or not drawing me, drawing on me, drawing on my skin, not with the pencil he is using, but with an old fashioned goose pen and not with the quill end, but with the feather end as if hundreds of butterflies have settled all over my face and are softly opening and closing their wings. But underneath that is another feeling, a feeling of being wide-eyed awake and watchful. It's like being wakened suddenly in the middle of the night by a hand over your face and you sit up with your heart going fast and no one is there. And underneath that is another feeling still, still. A feeling like being torn open, not like a body of flesh, it is not painful as such, but like a peach and not even torn up, but too ripe and splitting open of its own accord. And inside the peach, there's a stone. <laughs> and like the part with the peach and the stone, that that just mm-hmm. is so unsettling to me in a way that it shouldn't be because it's it's just the pit of a peach. But like for me, it's just no, but it's, something it's sits a, with it's me. It's stunning. It's stunning and it's it's really evocative and like powerful Mm -hmm. you know she's just a great like how she uses language and it really creates these like things that like you said that they sit with you like you kind of they resonate with you and something you think about um long after you've read it yeah and I feel like she uses really powerful words she does a she does an interesting thing with her writing like again kind of back to the point where everything feels really important of making something feel really important in the moment and in the context of when it's being said or written, Mm -hmm. but also Mm -hmm. really important for the whole story. And this, this idea of like the way he's writing on her and kind of like applying these different things to her almost to her skin, but then also all the different layers and what's underneath and what's under this layer and this layer and this layer. And like, like, I just feel like that's all in some ways, a lot of what the story is about and, um, just yes, how much layers. we have to fe- layers, <laughs> how we have to peel back, which, you know, it's like a, it's a theme we see in a lot of things. But for this one, it, I just think she, it's really clever how it's evocative of the moment and also evocative of like the story as a whole. Of what's going on. Yeah. No, I great point. I think she does. I think that's why even though it's a lot and um, she's very descriptive, it, it all just it, it all needs to be there. There's nothing that you can really take out. Like it's just also important and also connected yeah I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit because I think that she's I don't know if it's that Margaret Atwood is toying with this or if it's Grace and the way that she what she's choosing to tell but kind of Mm -hmm. like the idea of um like fate and uh place and like kind of like inevitability and mostly I see that with like her interactions with Jeremiah or at least the way she talks with Jeremiah the peddler and mm-hmm. you know how he great character love that character by the way I love the character like we will talk all yeah. about that character probably in the next episode but yeah probably best to save it for the next one yeah but, love but I love I love at the beginning how Grace maybe or Margaret Atwood is kind of placing in these seeds of kind of like where your place in society or with other people or like kind of like lends you to a certain fate or 
like it's sure it fates even a part of it you know because jeremiah says that he saw you know death in mary whitney's face and he reads palms and he can he kind of like predicts and warns grace about something that's gonna happen and well and right off the bat her when her mother dies on the boat like they see um it was crows right like three crows or something and her mom references you know that's a bad omen and Mm -hmm. you know she's she's not gonna make it you know she's gonna die on the ship and like so right she's got all sorts of those instances yeah of that idea of of fate and what you're fated to yeah and like the superstitions kind of behind it all and Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like mocking in some ways like it's tied, I think, to Catholicism a lot in this, where she's, you know, when she's on the ship specifically, and they're Protestant, and she talks about how the old lady that they befriend on the ship is Catholic, and so she's, like, very superstitious. And, right. But it's interesting, because I feel like Grace seems to be very superstitious throughout the whole thing. Like, you can't turn butter in a mm-hmm. thunderstorm, or, like, you know, like, interesting little things like that. And it, yeah. Just how woven it is in in daily life. Mm -hmm. And I find it interesting because I think like it brings up a question of, you know, what does Grace think is true about that? Because, you know, if if we were if we're saying that she's telling the truth about that interaction with Jeremiah the peddler where he warns her and says, you should really get out. Something's going to happen. I can tell there's trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, if that really happened, then like. Does that mean that that's true? Like, you know, in this right. in the context of the story, I find it an interesting question. Yeah. Well, I just, I, we, I think we brought it up earlier too, but just that idea of truth and what is the truth. And it's just all so interwoven. And I just love how she brings that up in so many different subtle ways, you know, with the, with Jeremiah and then just in how, you know, Mary tells her story or um, Grace tells her story, you yeah. know, just... Well, and, and the way Mary talks when she's talking to Grace, too. You know, like when they're um, at the Miss Mackenzie's or whatever the name is of their landlady. And the, the way that Mary uh, has two faces in a way. Like she's she's presented as one way as like this really great mm-hmm. housekeeper who's like really chipper and a great maid and just like lovely to be around and does great work. And then at the same time, she's like this very cunning, pointed, you know, quick-witted figure who has a lot of experience kind of with like the underbelly of society, whether that be the like the rebellious nature of her and like the way that immigrants are cheated and like the rising mm-hmm. of the lower classes, or if it's like her curiosity with like where the um, sex workers work like I thought that was a really interesting Mm -hmm. scene where she brings grace to look at that and like look at them and explains how it works and yeah that I mean that's just something again that we kind of don't hear about don't talk about it's the underbelly of society that they don't want to show but it's also like a a huge part of what made society work at the time (laughs) exactly (laughs) No, it's a little off topic. There's, oh, I can't remember the name of the show now. I think it was called Brothel or something, but it was about, like, these women-owned brothels in, um, like, kind of during, like, French Revolution period. Is it Harlots? In, like, France and just, like, what a big part of the economy they were in politics and, Uh like, 
just like what a big aspect of life. Anyway, it's a great show. I liked it. And it's like all written by women. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'll have to look it up. But no, I think she makes, you know, Margaret Atwood does such a great job of exposing all the different layers of society just as she's exposing all the different layers that people have, you know, and Mm -hmm. like and like Nancy Montgomery, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, Grace gives great descriptions kind of highlighting. It's almost like she has multiple personalities, you know, and, yeah. and just like how she presents herself differently in all these different, you know, to all these different people. And I think she's a great um, character of looking at that. Yeah. Nancy is interesting because I, I don't know. I can never quite tackle her down either because that's I think the portrayal of Nancy is a really great question of like is there's a bigger question of whether or not Grace is telling the truth because Mm -hmm. Nancy's portrayed in I think a pretty like unflattering light is like very kind of like crazy and like kind of jealous and um Mm -hmm. conniving conniving back and forth you know and aggressive in a lot of ways and I think there's a lot of questions of whether or not that's the case and and honestly like is if we're gonna have sympathy for grace in this situation then shouldn't we also extend that towards nancy because in a lot of ways nancy is exactly who grace could be it's exactly who mary whitney could have been mm-hmm. had anything yeah, gone and, different ex- yeah and grace i think almost makes a point to paint you know that nancy maybe isn't as intelligent like when they have that interaction where grace sees the painting in thomas kinnear's room Mm -hmm. and nancy tells her it's a scene from the bible and she's like no it's not like yeah i know all the stories in the bible and that is not a story in the bible and you know and it turns out she's right and then also you know her employer then compliments basically in in a really (laughs) not nice way really backhanded compliment but you know compliments her intelligence and like yeah um and i think it's interesting that that's an interaction and is is did that really happen did it really happen that way I think she almost makes a point that hey I'm smarter than Nancy like despite that you know she was in charge of me (laughs) right it's it's interesting like it's kind of a weird way because you I can't figure out why she would tell the story that way if it wasn't true because it it's one of those things where it's not like Grace is saying that Nancy deserves her fate of being murdered (laughs) But oh, it's no, like, I think it's true. Like, I think it's a truth because I yeah. think she's trying to I think she is trying to point out like this happened. But I'm I'm intelligent. Like I she wasn't better than me. You know, mm-hmm. like these people that acted better than me, they weren't necessarily better than me. I think she's kind of making that point of like because she's treated so unequally, you know, mm-hmm. she's treated people, you know, the governor's wife and daughter, you know, kind of treat her like she's a simpleton. You know, she gets treated and like she's not as smart and with it as she is. And I think there's these different points where she makes a point to be like, no, I am like, if you're paying attention, you know, I am your equal. Right. But then it's like a question of like, okay, well, does that mean that I was smart enough to do this and come up with it? (laughs) Or am I smart enough to not have been involved, you know, or like to, to not have done it? Like, it's just, what does being smart even mean in this situation? I know. I love it. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's awesome. There's just so many layers to it. It's like the fact that she's that smart, like, okay, well, that's another thing to think about when I'm trying to figure out what's going on, you know, and like who she is. Like, it's just, you can't quite pinpoint anything. Mm -mm. 
and then that's why it's like unsettling but yeah and there's also like i mean speaking of unsettling like i think this book has a lot of like overt sexuality in the case of like nancy and mary whitney and like what comes what happens to her Mm -hmm. but i think there's so much like underlying sexual tension in this book that Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Especially with for some reason Grace and Simon and Dr. Jordan. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> Like yeah. why Grace? A, why? <laughs> I know. That's a, okay. That I think is a big discussion. I definitely want to talk about that. I think we should save that for part two though. Okay. Let's save it for part two. I think this is actually like a great place to end it without getting too spoilery. Yeah. So there's a lot to discuss in the next section. I don't know if I can keep going at this point. I know. It's going to be hard for me to keep it in. So. You did a great job. You didn't spoil Thank anything. You. Yay. <laughs> Nothing will Thank have you. to be bleeped like... out of this episode. Oh, good. Because Kendrick probably would not like that. <laughs> <laughs> he had to do all the editing. So I'm really proud of us. So um, we will talk to you next time about part two. I'm really excited um, to have some more discussion and kind of wrap up the ending. Um, so hurry and catch up if you have not finished um, so that you can participate with us. And, and then just a reminder, the next book we'll be doing is Reservation Blues by Sherman Alexie. Um, and I think that was it. Is there anything else we're forgetting or you wanted to add before we signed off? I don't think so. I think you covered it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, hope uh, you are enjoying the book. Hope you have finished it or will be able to finish it before part two. So we will talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you.